be in Hebrews chapter 11. So in those Bibles or electronic Bibles, get there. If you haven't downloaded the free app called Uversion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N.com, Uversion Bible on your device, do that. It's a free download, doesn't cost you a thing, and it's a wonderful tool to have. Uversion. Go to your app store and it's right there. We're going to talk today about living by faith. Tim Russert, how many of you remember that name, Tim Russert? Said one time to John Meacham, it's the faith, brother, it's the faith. John Meacham was invited to appear on Meet the Press, and his task was to debate the noted atheist Christopher Hitchens. Hitchens has passed away in recent time, and I've often wondered, it would be great to hear from him, how things went. You know, the problem with atheists when they die is they get all dressed up, and they've got absolutely no place to go. Tim Russell said to John Meacham, you got to come down and defend the faith, brother. He wanted Meacham, an Episcopalian, to defend the Christian faith against this severe critic of Christianity, Christopher Hitchens. Meacham, well, I should say Russert, though he was a devout Catholic, it's a fact that he never did try to hide even as moderator, he couldn't take sides. So he wanted Meacham to come and take up the cause. <clears throat> and he simply said to him, it's the faith, brother. It's the faith. And I think that's a good statement any way you look at it. Tim Russert died suddenly. Later that day that he died, Howard Feynman of Newsweek magazine made this observation during a television interview, he said, Tim Russert did not pursue false gods. He pursued the real one. Well, I'd like for that to be said of me and you. Amen? It's a great tribute for anybody, but especially somebody in a public domain. When Meacham wrote about Russert's invitation and the phrase, it's the faith, brother, John Meacham drew this conclusion. He said, In that brief chat, the many sides of Russert were on display. He was cajoling and charming, playing it straight, pushing others to be, be braver and bolder, all in the service of creating an interesting conversation about the things that matter most. One thing that young people discover when they get to college is they get surrounded by professors who don't always profess the faith in God. They'll sometimes laugh at our young people for their faith in God. There'll be a day, there'll be a day, when that laughing will turn to words of honor. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They can say what they want, behave how they want, but there will be a day. Tim Russert was 100% correct. It is the faith. 
It's what we believe about the things that matter most. You take faith away, and we've really got not much left. Writer of Hebrews 11 would surely agree to that. If what we believe makes any difference, then it has to change the way we live. That's what the phrase by faith in this chapter repeated over and over is all about. To go back to Howard Feynman's quote, it's all about pursuing the one true God. But do we take faith seriously? As seriously as we ought to. In 1860, the motto, In God We Trust, was added to our currency. In 1954, the phrase, Under God, was added to our Pledge of Allegiance. Are we a nation under God? Can we really say, In God We Trust? You see, we're not a very trusting people. We don't trust our government officials. We don't trust our bosses. We don't even trust our neighbors. We don't trust our doctors. We don't even trust our pastors. We don't even trust God. George Carlin, the comedian who religion and God weren't very high on his list, he said the following about God. Listen to this. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. Something is definitely wrong. Results like these do not belong to the resume of a supreme being. This is a kind of expletive you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. The truth is that God is not responsible for many of those things. Fallen man is. In a Christian home, you ever wondered how you might have turned out or not if you hadn't been raised in a Christian home or near a Christian church or surrounded by Christian people. For most people, when they were born, they're immediately taken to church. <laughs> not a bad place to take a kid, oh, amen. You don't get to see what I get to see sometimes on Sunday mornings, but in the back, we had a little praise the Lord group going this morning. Little bitty guys, they're just dancing around, dancing back there. There's nothing wrong with that. Somebody might say, well, we need to get control of these kids. Not here. Let them praise the Lord. They got enough of the junk out in the world. At least when they come in here, let them smile a lot. Amen. It's great Bible stories coming alive in their life. We take faith for granted. We think it's easy to believe and easy to keep believing, but it's really not. Not for most of us. I'm sure there are some people to whom God has given such grace that believing is never a challenge, even in the midst of extreme circumstances. But the rest of us struggle to believe, at least part of the time. Robert Rayburn expressed it very directly when he said, Think of what might, must be believed in order to become a Christian, that you are God's creature. creature that you have rebelled, that he is holy and you are guilty as a sinner before him, that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to atone for sin, that by believing in Jesus, his righteousness and the virtue of his death are imputed to you so that your guilt is swept away and you are accounted righteous in God's sight, that if you believe in Jesus, you have been made a new creature in Christ, have been given a summons to live a new life, 
and the power to live it, then when you die and your body's laid in the ground, your soul will be immediately, gloriously in the presence of God in heaven, and Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead and to vindicate those who have trusted in Him. And that endless bliss and perfect satisfaction of human life, body, and soul awaits at the resurrection those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Woo! <laughs> can't see any of that. He can't prove it in a laboratory. No one ever comes back from the other side and tells us how things are over there. Oh, some have. They've written books about it, right? The bright light. I'm drawn to the bright light. I saw my little boy that did that. The big book that's a big seller right now. His mom and dad are laughing all the way to the bank. I imagine he made a lot of money on that book, don't you? Oh, imagine some of you upset by talking that way. I don't know. Was it true? All he did was confirm to me what's in the Bible. What Jesus said. The evidence of our eyes is against all of us and all of this. We can't see sins forgiven. We have to believe it. We can't see the, the soul that's in heaven. We have to believe it. We have to believe it all on the strength of God's promise. Christ said he would return, but it has been 2,000 plus years. We must believe that he will keep his promise. That's a lot to believe. And without God's help, we would never believe at all. We couldn't. You ever believed in somebody? Believed in them so much that they let you down and it crushed you? Happens all the time. Parents like to appear as though they're perfect in every way. And children growing up realize real fast that they're not. But when moms and dads refuse to admit that they've done anything wrong, it creates an imbalance with the children. Because life is full of struggle. If there's anything that I know for sure, life is a struggle. We must believe we must believe. It's the faith, brother. Because faith comes down to us as a gift from God. We must exercise the faith we have or it begins to wither and die on the vine. That's why we've got to take faith seriously. It has to make a difference. It has to change the way we live because if it's not true, we of all people, Paul said, are most miserable. I want to give you three examples today and three lessons we learned from three different people in the Bible. Abel, Enoch, and Noah. First thing we learn in verse 4 of Hebrews 11 comes from Abel. Without faith you cannot be accepted by God. Look what it says. By faith Abel 
offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. The story of Cain and Abel, recorded in Genesis 4, is a story that's well known, so much so that people who don't even read the Bible know the story of Cain and Abel. It's entered our language as synonymous to a troublemaker when we say raising Cain. <laughs> if you're a WWE person, you've got a guy named Cain. He looks like the devil, doesn't he? Oh, wet hair and fire. They're all ugly. Except Ric Flair. He was the prettiest of them all, wasn't he? Just ask him. He'll tell you. Some of you are going, what? I digress. Let's go back. The first murder in human history is between Cain and Abel. One brother kills another in an outburst of rage and envy. Sibling rivalry obviously present from the beginning. Cain farmed the soil while Abel raised livestock. Cain brought an offering from his crops. Abel brought a sacrifice of the best of his herd. God accepted Abel's offering because it was brought by faith. A lot of mysteries about this story. A lot of questions. What's the age difference between Cain and Abel? What were their growing up years like? Why did one choose to be a farmer, the other a shepherd? How did they know to bring an offering to God? How did Cain know Abel's sacrifice had been accepted, his had not? What exactly had Adam taught his sons about the proper way to approach God? Well, I suspect that Adam had explained that God required a sacrifice. Certainly Cain represents all the people in the world who believe that they can make it on their own and on their own religion. In Greenville, South Carolina, there was a story back in 2008 done by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life and in that story, it portrayed our nation as one of free-flowing spirituality with a declining adherence to dogma, which is stunning, according to the article. Q-Form director said, You no longer have an alignment of affiliation, belief, and behavior. Instead, we find complexity and diversity not only between religious communities, but within it as well. So in other words, people are believing what they want, doing what they want, thinking what they want. They're not allowing the Bible to be the rule of faith. They're allowing whatever they want the Bible to say to be the rule of faith. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And the sooner we get there, the quicker we get there, the better life will become. You don't dictate to God. He dictates to us. People are making up their own religion. Many people in our churches have made up their own religion. It's reflected in the way they give, in their ability to tell the truth, church attendance, and integrity. Well, let me remind you that you may believe what you want, think what you want, act like you want, but there is only one way to God, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't good your way there. You can't hope your way there. You can't buy your way there. You can't serve your way there. You can't take communion enough to get there. You can't teach nursery or Sunday school or hang out with teenagers to get there. You've got to only get there through the cross of Christ. That's it. That's it. And anybody tells you different, 
is not telling you the truth. It's about the faith. And that faith must be in Jesus. So whatever we may say about the two offering of the offerings of Cain and Abel, the real difference was in their heart. Abel had faith, Cain did not. Abel trusted God and offered the best he had. Cain lacked faith, apparently just went through the motions. Genesis 4.4 says that God looked with favor on Abel and his offering. And the order of that is crucial. First, the man, then the offering. Same for Cain. But man looks on the outward and makes his judgments that way. God looks to the heart first and foremost. And when he looked at Abel's heart, he found faith. And he rewarded that faith. In verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 11, we find our second story. Without faith, you cannot please God. Let's pick it up at verse 5. But by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he comes, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If the story of Cain and Abel is a short story, <laughs> the story of Enoch is even more so. Four brief verses, Genesis chapter 5, 21 through 24, is all we have about Enoch. His, his, his whole life history is in those four verses. For 65 years he lived for himself, but when his son Methuselah was born, he began to walk with God. And for 300 more years he walked with God until according to Genesis 5.24, he was no more because God took him away. What an interesting verse. If the story of Abel is about our quest for acceptance and the story of Enoch is the familiar metaphor of the journey. All of us are on a journey going somewhere. We're looking for something, some meaning, some purpose, some identity, fulfillment, satisfaction. And many people spend a lifetime engaged in that lifelong journey and never get there. Because it's ill-placed and misplaced. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity inside every human heart. That is, God has placed in us a hunger to know who we are, where we fit in to this big universe. All of our striving after career goals, worldly success, financial independence, jumping from one relationship to another, those things are but symptoms of our deeper need to find our place in the universe. The French philosopher Pascal said it this way, that there is a God-shaped vacuum inside every heart. Since nature dislikes vacuums, if we don't fill it with God, we will fill it with something else. Have you discovered that in your life? You can chase after it all you want, but until you put God in there, it never fits right. So many of us have filled our hearts with the junk food of the world. I love fast food, don't you? I mean, McDonald's increased their fast food express. They've got two lines now. If you, not, not enough to go through one, you got the other one. I, I like to go through one, back up and go through the other one, just for fun. <laughs> Augustine said, Oh, Lord, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Oh, how true that is. 
Enoch's journey led him to God, and when he found God, he walked with him. He began walking with God after the birth of his son, Methuselah. Perhaps he's like so many men who really don't get serious until they look in the face of their firstborn son or daughter. When you hold that first baby in your arms and you look in their face, you realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. It profoundly affects you. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with you. You hold that baby for the first time. I'll never forget holding Jeff for the first time. We went in at 6 in the morning so they could induce labor in that little 5-foot wife of mine. And we had the nurses check us in, right? They rotated off to night duty at 7. New dispatch came in. At 11.30 that night, that same nurse that checked out in the morning came back by to check on us. And the first word she was, Honey, you still here? And Cindy had the look of death on her face. And when they broke the water, Ooh, Lord have mercy, things began to happen then. And I never will forget, they told me, they said, they said Sir, you're going to have to leave the room while we give your wife an epidural. I thought, was it torture or what? <laughs> but she was in pain. Been going all day long, right? Well, after they gave her that in epidural, I came back into the room. She's sitting on the side of the bed, swinging her legs. Woo! I said, I don't know what's in there, but shoot some in here. At 11.58, that boy finally got here. All day, and she went into labor right at the time it was feeding time at the hospital. And I went through all that with her, helped her breathe, you know, all that stuff. And then she said, okay, you can go get something to eat. And by the time I got that cafeteria was closed. All day long. So when that little dude got here at 11.58, I said, I'm going home to eat right now. But uh, never, never a more beautiful sight. How many of you can say amen to that? It profoundly affects you. One day Enoch and God are walking along. And God says, hey, I'm having a great time. You want you to just come on home with me? And so God and Enoch... I love what the Bible says. And Enoch was no more. I can see him walking along the road and all of a sudden. Only one other person in the Bible that it happened to. Any of you know who? Elijah. 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 Taken to the Lord. Two people in the Bible. Did not die like we normally die. Somebody said Jesus up here. Jesus did die. The great news is he rose again. That's the good news. But Enoch and Elijah, Enoch's story teaches us that death for the believer is not a traumatic event, even though here it seems traumatic. The believer in Jesus' death is a transition. John Stott, theologian, said death is a trivial episode in the life of a believer. It's the doorway through which we enter the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whew. 
Then the third person I want you to learn from and it's found in verse 7 of Hebrews 11. Because without faith you can't stand against the world. Let's pick it up. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The story of Noah. Genesis chapters five or six through nine. And we know the story about the great massive flood, the ark, gathering of the animals. We know how Noah saved his family while the world around him perished. We see another side of the life of faith. We saw Abel, who pictures the quest for acceptance, Enoch, who pictures the journey to find God, and then now Noah, who pictures the power of courage. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, but he didn't have much to show for his efforts. 120 years, he preached the truth, called society around him to repentance. And when the flood finally came, only eight people, only eight people were saved. Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives. And he managed to save his own family but nobody else. So by faith, he preached when no one would listen. By faith, he built when people ridiculed. By faith, he continued year after year after year. By faith, he believed God regarding things that he had not yet seen. You know the story. He's building this massive boat out in the middle of nowhere and telling the people that God's going to send rain. They had been in a drought. God's going to send rain so much we're going to die from it. We need to get right with God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, I got to go to the ball game, though. I need another Bud Light. Pour me one there, preacher. I need something else besides what you're offering. Right? Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's our world today. Don't really have time for church. I mean, the weather's getting warm. We didn't have much winter, amen. Everybody's getting their boats all cranked up and ready to go. Going to get out to the lake. The boat won't work, but you're going to stay all day to get it going. Spend hundreds of dollars to get that boat running so you can get out there on the lake and do your thing. Got a ski, got a ski do, got to do it all. Here we go. Spring break, kids are on planes, they're down in Cancun and they're in all kinds of places. Down in Florida, Destin, Florida, white sandy beaches, clear water, oh, thinly clad people. The Bible says your right eye offend thee, cover it. Anytime you're in that situation, cover your right eye, you can look where your left is all right. see, the message of Noah is a message for all men in this group. So listen. Listen up, men. Dads, sons, brothers, husbands, 
single men, all men, all boys, heed this word. Noah was a righteous man who had great faith in God. His faith saved his entire family. But I want you to make note of this. Not one word is ever said about the faith of his wife, the faith of his children, or the faith of their wives. Not one word is ever said about it. But I know they had faith. How do I know? Because when Noah entered the ark, his wife went with him. And when Noah and Mrs. Noah went in the ark, the boys went with him. And when Noah and Mrs. Noah and the boys went in the ark, the wives went with him. I don't know how much faith they, they had, but they had enough to follow the head of the family. I put a lot of pressure on men today. We got too many walking away, not enough standing up. Easy to walk away. Easy to walk away. The president of our country in January made a statement that I'm praying for him more than I ever have. And the statement was Roe versus Wade. That was the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. He said, because of Roe versus Wade, now every woman has the same opportunity to be successful as any man. Now you read between the lines what that meant is, kill that baby, it's no big deal. Because they shouldn't be burdened with that. It's a woman's right to choose. But the choice was already made before the baby was conceived. And that's the fact. That's the fact. The power of a godly example. Men, God holds you accountable to set the pace for your entire family, not just your kids right around you, but your grandkids and I've got one granddaughter, one in the incubator, and I've got a four-legged one down in Edmond, Oklahoma. But I'm telling you, everybody who told me over the years that being a grandparent is something you'll, you'll always cherish. Now you think, yeah, whatever. They were dead. I've, I've repented of that attitude. I'm telling you, they, all they have to do is look in your eyes, don't they? All they have to do is just listen. And they do. They suck. They soak in everything you say. Better say it right. And I'm trying to say it better than I did when their dad was in my house. Abel found the righteousness that comes by faith. He trusted God. Enoch walked with God and went... Straight to heaven, he trusted God. Noah had courage to stand against the unbelieving world. He trusted God. From Abel to Enoch to Noah, what joins these men together? What did they have? They had faith. They had faith in Almighty God. I need not try to convince you of anything. Without faith, you will not believe it anyway. But true faith, faith that rests on God and His Word and believes all that He said, true faith sees the unseen and says... It's true. It's true. It's the faith, brother. Faith taken seriously makes a difference in our world and changes the way we live. 
In November of 1994, Scott and Janet Willis, along with their six children, were traveling in their minivan from their home on the south side of Chicago to Milwaukee on Interstate 94. The minivan ran over a large chunk of metal that had been broken off the back of a truck. It punctured the van's gas tank, set off an explosion that ripped a hole through the back seat floor. Scott and Janet escaped the blaze with burns, but they couldn't save their children. Ben 13, Joe 11, Sam 9, Hank 6, Elizabeth 3, and Peter 6 weeks old. Seen through the eyes of a public that gasped at the enormity of the tragedy, Scott and Janet Willis faced unendurable grief. Their grief un is wrenching and unremitting, yet they found a way to continue by faith. It's their faith that gets them out of bed in the morning and lets them enjoy the memories of their children rather than be haunted by their memories of them. It's the faith, brother. Taken seriously makes a difference, changes the way we live, and it leads me to ask two questions. Do you have it? And will you live it? Father, I ask you this morning. I know there's somebody in this room that needs to know that you love them with an everlasting love. There's somebody in this room that needs to feel your presence this very moment. There's somebody in this room that needs assurance that they're saved and going to spend eternity with you. There's some dads that need courage, an extra measure of courage in this room today. There are moms struggling, struggling as single parents. Oh, there's people hurting beyond measure. Silently for most because they don't want anybody to know. So God, would you help them to increase their faith through the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah. May we realize that you have grace, you have love, and you have power. And all we have to do is lean on you to receive it. So God, if there's somebody here that's ready to cry out to you, call out to you, would you make that happen today in their life? Give them courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.